Welcome back to Wonderland. This is the episode where we talk about security, protection, and police. If you're new here, I would recommend going back to the start of the series to see how we got to this point. This second half of the podcast is concerned with the principles of good government. How should a state operate in order to promote the most individual liberty and autonomy? With freedom as the ultimate goal, what are the necessary foundations that a free society must be built upon? The first step is peace, which is what we talked about last episode. How a new territory could be acquired and protected from external threats. Once the border is secure, the state must then go about establishing security on the inside, which is what we will be talking about today. Currently, there seems to be a lot of dissatisfaction with how our protection and police services are conducted, but I see very little discussion as to what could be offered as a viable alternative. Progressives want to defund the police and reallocate spending towards community services. Anarchists want to abolish the police and replace them with private protection agencies. Conservatives want to back the blue, but then often find themselves in positions defending what are clear abuses of power. So, what's the solution? If the police cannot be trusted to protect and serve their community, then there is something deeply dysfunctional about the system that needs to be corrected. The police need to be a reliable source of government protection, not additional fear and antagonism. What I'm interested in doing is reconceptualizing our political structures from scratch. I am not too concerned with how things are today, I care about how they ought to be operating in the future. What could and should our public protection services look like? That is what I want to explore today. So try to lay aside for a moment the norms and standards we have become accustomed to, and instead join me in reimagining the role of protection within our communities. Chapter 1. What is protection? What protection means, in a practical sense, is that the state must have secure control over its territory. This is why having a strong border is the first and foremost task of the sovereign. If you cannot control who is entering and exiting the state, then how can you hope to manage what is occurring inside of it? The state is secure when it maintains a monopoly on coercion or force within its territory. The absolute absence of crime is an impossible goal. There will always be a few thieves and murderers in any society. But there should be no organized crime or systematic resistance to state authority. If there is some mob or cartel that holds coercive power within the state, then the citizens can no longer rely upon the laws to be reinforced consistently or effectively. In order for the people to feel safe, 
the rule of law and power of state authority must be absolute. But what can the people expect to feel safe from? What exactly is being protected? The traditional libertarian view is based on the non-aggression principle. Essentially, it is the government's job to intervene only as a retaliatory force. If another person threatens you, or harms you, or steals from you, then this will merit state intervention. However, this limited conception of protection still leaves people vulnerable to many other forces which could threaten their livelihood. What if there is a house fire, or a hurricane, or I injure myself and need emergency medical attention? All of these are instances where my life may be in danger and I need someone to intervene on my behalf. Protection, to me, means living in a society that protects my body from active threats and harm, not simply punishing people who may seek to do me harm. In the event of some unforeseen circumstance, I want a government that will use its power to protect me and my possessions to the best of its ability. The idea of outsourcing these tasks to private companies overlooks the fact that state authority is required to use force legitimately. Police, paramedics, firefighters, and other forms of first responders all fall under this unique category. Anyone who may need to use force to violate the rights of one citizen in order to protect the livelihood of another. For instance, think of how emergency vehicles are able to violate traffic laws to reach their destinations more quickly. Or how a firefighter may need to damage private property in order to save someone's life. Police are given special powers to search, detain, and question people so they can do their jobs properly. All of these services must be government agencies since they need to have coercive power in order to protect the people. For the rules to be enforced effectively, some special class of citizens must also have the right to violate them. This is the proper role of state security. Chapter 2. The Guardians I'm going to spend the rest of this episode focusing on the role of police specifically, since I think this is the area we can all agree needs the most improvement. No one really has any issue with state services such as firefighters or paramedics, since their jobs are so cut and dry. They have one job to do, and only one way they can do it put out the fire, or provide medical assistance. Police, on the other hand, are called upon to respond to all sorts of occurrences and can deal with them in a myriad of ways. Their job is to enforce the laws. But what sort of laws are they expected to enforce, and through what methods? I'll be getting into the specifics of rules and regulations next episode, but a key aspect of this theoretical political system I'm designing is the idea that you can have nested layers of regulation. As a country, the state may have a libertarian attitude towards drug policy, 
but there may be certain subsets of communities that ban the use of drugs and alcohol altogether. There is no contradiction here. The citizens simply have to be aware of where the rules apply and position themselves accordingly. When talking about the role of police officers in this episode, I want to focus on the minimal possible requirements. What is the bare minimum that they should be expected to do, and why? One of the main problems with our current political system is the fact that officers spend the majority of their time enforcing laws that need not exist in the first place. Recreational drug use, or sex work, or cracking open a cold one while you walk down the street are all victimless crimes, and it shouldn't be the job of the state to punish such behavior. Police involvement in nonviolent crimes also provides the opportunity for abuses of power which would not otherwise exist, since they get to pick and choose who they pull over for traffic stops or ticket for public consumption of alcohol. This not only wastes valuable public resources, but diminishes the role of the officer from protector to essentially a hall monitor. Police involvement in traffic in particular, I believe, will become a less salient issue as autonomous vehicles become the norm. You won't be able to get a DUI, speeding, or parking ticket once self-driving cars rule the road. This is a good thing, as it will free police officers up from monotonous tasks and force them to focus on their actual duty, which is protecting their community. The proper role of police officers is to respond to active harm, threats, or thefts. They are to be called upon in an emergency or to deal with a crime that has been committed. When you dial 911, you are looking for help, protection, and security. This is the officer's primary duty. Once you get the police out of nonviolent crime and traffic stops, this raises the bar of competency considerably. No longer are we looking for bureaucratic busybodies, but rather an elite force of highly trained individuals prepared to respond to all sorts of emergencies. The role of a police officer should be glorified. They are guardians. I borrow this term from Plato's Republic as it really gets at the crux of what I am trying to describe. The Guardians are government agents who are empowered to protect the populace, like local superheroes. They must be able to take down bad guys, administer medical assistance, provide psychological support, de-escalate tense situations, and get the occasional cat out of a tree. Becoming a guardian would take many years of training across a variety of fields, resulting in a highly coveted, highly paid, and highly respected position. This solution integrates the progressive and conservative demands. Instead of having social workers and police officers, who are both equipped to deal with some scenarios and not others, why not combine their roles to create a more well-rounded individual who is capable of dealing with any crisis that is thrown at them. Emphasizing quality over quantity also increases competitiveness within the field and makes it easier to replace officers who are abusing their power. 
if you want to improve quality of service, then the solution is not to defund the police, but rather glorify the role as one that is highly sought after and respected. The other change I want to make in the role of police, now known as guardians, is how they occupy their free time. Instead of sitting around on call when not actively responding to a crime, they should be out in the community, walking or biking the beat. This used to be the role of police officers until they all got outfitted with cars to drive around in, which strips away the interpersonal element. The purpose of a community patrol should not be wandering around aimlessly to establish a police presence, but rather actively engaging with and getting to know the community. This is the service component. Guardians should spend their free time by building relationships, interacting with the people they are responsible for protecting. This could be something as simple as helping a little old lady cross the road or an old man weed his garden, carrying a pregnant woman's groceries in for her, or playing basketball with the local kids after school. The point is not the job itself, but establishing a reliable presence in the community that feels familiar and trustworthy. That way, when a guardian shows up to a call about a robbery, he may already know both the old lady whose laptop was stolen, as well as the troubled teen who nicked it. This makes conflict management much easier, as it reduces the fear and animosity that can otherwise arise between police and the public. Contrast this with the current system, where the police service a massive area and spend their free time isolated from the community. There is no sense of familiarity or safety. Both the officer and the citizen perceive the other as something foreign and uncertain. This subsequently leads to mistrust, disobedience, and escalation in interactions. By making it a priority to focus on developing meaningful relationships within the neighborhood, this sense of otherness is reduced. The guardians are no longer outsiders, but rather a firm and friendly fixture of the community. Chapter 3. The Community Center This brings us to the final and most ambitious phase of the episode. Essentially, what I want to do is completely rework how we conceptualize and integrate government services into our communities. And it all starts with the community center. Last episode, I described a target state as one that could arise with the most minimal startup cost. Essentially, a protection agency setting up shop and selling its services to the surrounding area. All that is required is a secure home base that the Guardians can operate out of. This is how I believe we should reconceptualize the role of police stations, as centers of protection within the community. Imagine that instead of a major city having a few police stations that hundreds of officers operate out of, the stations are broken up into smaller access points and distributed throughout the neighborhoods. They would occur at regular intervals at about the same frequency as public schools, with one always being available within a 20-minute walk from a residential area. 
the number of officers operating out of each station would be determined by the surrounding population density and crime rates. Guardians from adjacent communities may be called in as backup, but generally would stick to dealing with help needed in their immediate vicinity. Breaking up the current norm into smaller dispatch points also improves issues of internal accountability. If you have a problem with or feel unsafe engaging with one center, you can always head over to the next one and request an internal investigation or file a complaint. All of the stations would work to keep the others in check, meaning abuses of power would be more easily identified and dealt with. Currently, police stations are dense, few, and far between. They act as central dispatch points to the entire city, with officers operating out of them but also bringing criminals back to them. People are detained, questioned, and arrested in the same place that citizens must go to feel protected. This contrast makes police stations feel inherently cold, hostile, and uninviting. They are the last place a person would want to go if seeking comfort or security. To solve this, simply separate the protection from the punishment. Criminals should be detained, questioned, and processed in a completely separate facility. I'm not going to get into the details of crime and punishment this episode, but suffice it to say I believe our current systems of deterrence and rehabilitation could use some improvements. However, the problem of what to do with criminals is a different issue. Today, we are focusing on how to protect the populace. So, instead of police stations, I want community centers. But what does that look like exactly? What's the difference? Well, I want you to imagine a pretty brick building or cluster of buildings surrounded by public parks and playgrounds, flower gardens, and basketball courts. The size of a city block, maybe. The space feels safe, warm, and inviting, and acts as a central hub in the community that enables interactions. Maybe there's a bulletin board outside so locals can post notices and organize events, flyers looking for lost pets or advertising garage sales or job opportunities. There's enough space available that people can gather, play, and relax at their leisure. Because the Guardians operate out of the community center, the surrounding area is incredibly safe. This is a place where kids could come hang out after school without needing adult supervision. On the weekends, maybe a farmer's market pops up, or housewives get together to do yoga. All the conventional stuff you'd expect to see in a public park. The difference is that this community center would be a one-stop shop for all government services. Not only is the property providing public parks and playgrounds, but the buildings nested inside would provide the basis of all necessary social services. Instead of having libraries, homeless shelters, health clinics, adoption agencies, unemployment offices, and psychological services spread throughout the city, all of these resources would be folded into one central access point. Kind of like the role the church would have played in medieval Europe. If you need help, information, or assistance of any sort, you can likely find it here. The center acts as a safe haven within the community. 
I know this isn't how anyone thinks of social services traditionally, but once you get the idea in your head, it's kind of intoxicating. The community center would have a reception area which issues public documents and ID, as well as providing general directions and information. There would be a soup kitchen available and a place to spend the night, as well as a medic and psychologist on site. There would also be a place to sit inside with free Wi-Fi and computers or tablets available, which is all that is needed for a modern-day library. Given that the centers would only be servicing communities of a few thousand, rather than a few hundred thousand, it would only require a dozen staff members or so to manage all of these services. Of course, this would vary depending upon the needs and density of the surrounding community, but a small, efficiently-ran center could get by on a receptionist, medic, psychologist, and housekeeper, with the guardians providing the rest of the support where needed. Now, you may insist that all of these community services go against the ideals of libertarianism. After all, we want a small and efficiently-ran government trimmed of all unnecessary expense— So how can I suggest a system that provides psychologists and soup kitchens? Well, this goes back to the idea of protection that I talked about earlier. I don't just want protection from others, but any active threat which may do me harm. And in some instances, that means people need a safe place to spend the night, or a solid meal in their stomach. I have nothing against the idea of a social safety net, but I do take issue with those who would use that net as a hammock. In other words, people who get comfortable mooching off the system long after it has helped them out of a tough spot. Luckily, there's an easy solution to this problem. The community center provides its services for free with an understanding that the citizens will pay for the cost after the fact, either through their own money, a sponsor, or charity, or active service to the station. Say for some reason you find yourself homeless, penniless, and needing a safe place to stay for the night. The community center will provide you with a hot meal, warm shower, and place to sleep. But the next morning, you will need to pay it forward by participating in the upkeep of the center in exchange for the services you have used. Maybe you'd be asked to weed the vegetable garden, or sweep the floors, or peel some potatoes. The point is that there needs to be an acknowledgement of the value that was provided to you, which is then repaid by your own labor. This ensures that people do not develop a sense of entitlement. The sensor is there to protect you, but it will not take care of you in perpetuity. People that are severely mentally ill, disabled, drug-addicted, or otherwise incapable of caring for themselves will need an alternative to the overnight solution. If someone needs serious help and intervention, then it would be the task of the center to connect them with a private charity or organization which is better tailored to suit their needs. The government could have its own private charity that works for profit, rehabilitating citizens and charging them after the fact for their services, but ultimately such matters should be left to the free market. I'll get more into the specifics of citizenship, rights, and responsibilities next episode. For now, 
This is my vision as to how we could make meaningful changes to the roles of protection and police within our communities. A little unconventional, maybe, but I find it incredibly inspiring. I love the idea of having a central hub where you know you can go to be safe and engage with your community. Having a designated space that facilitates local interactions is incredibly important and something we are sorely lacking in modern times. Moreover, simplifying and refining the role of police officers as public protectors rather than arbitrary rule enforcers would do a world of good. So many of our problems stem from outdated laws and institutions, and we won't see meaningful change in our systems until we get to the root of the issue. So join me next time where I discuss rules, regulations, and what it means to be a citizen. If you would like to keep up with me in the meantime, you can follow me on Twitter or Instagram at Jane Gatsby. Thank you so much for visiting Wonderland.